Welcome to iPad Pros, the show all about using your iPad to be productive and get work done. I'm Tim Chen, host of the show. It's kind of felt more powerful to me in a way, where like a mouse is always going to do the same thing, right? Uh, you're going to click and drag, and that's always going to do the same thing. It can't tell the difference between two different types of mice. Like there's no dual mice setups in the PC world. But on the iPad, it was kind of this cool thing where like I had the keyboard, I had my finger, I had the the pencil, and kind of these all work together to give me this kind of state of flow, I guess, that I could get into. Welcome back to another episode of iPad Pros. Coming up as an interview I did with Matt Birchler, who you may know from his great blog over at birchtree.me or his Birchtree podcast. He sold his MacBook Pro a couple of months after the third generation iPad Pro was released and runs both his podcast and blog from the iPad. We dive into a great deal of topics, including his workflows for getting his content out there, the role of the iPad at his day job, creating Ulysses style sheets, and much, much more. Stay tuned until after the podcast outro for about 10 minutes of cut conversation that was too much of a side tangent to include in the main conversation, but thought it was interesting enough to include as an after show. In this post show, we cover iPhone OS 1, future watch OS upgrades, and his computing history. If you'd like to support this podcast, the very best way to do that is to leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Every review is of huge help making the show more discoverable in search. You can also financially support the show over at patreon.com slash iPadPros. My huge thanks and appreciation to everyone that has or has in the past supported the show there. You can send your feedback to me at iPadProsPodcast at gmail.com. With that, here's my interview with Matt. Enjoy. Welcome to the podcast, Matt. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. So I've been following your work for some time now. I love your podcast. That's kind of whenever you have something top of mind, you just send out this quick little audio tidbit. And it's just a great little way to kind of glimpse into kind of what you're thinking. It's great to finally have you on the show. Yeah, I, I like, I've been listening to your show for, for a little while now, too. And uh, I'm, uh, I really respect what you're doing over here. It's a, it's a really nice show. So I was happy when you sent out the invite. Oh, thank you. So I thought it'd be just good to start baseline. What's your current iPad setup? I have the newest iPad Pro, so the 12.9-inch, uh, the Face ID model. I've had it since uh, a couple months after it came out in 2018. So I've been using this one for quite a while. I guess kind of the nice thing about getting an iPad Pro is that you can keep it for a couple of years, even if you do buy every model. It's been far and away my favorite iPad. Like I've had quite a few in the past ever since the original one. Definitely haven't bought all of them. I think the Pro models have really kind of turned a corner for me and changed kind of how I see the device. So I'm a really, really big fan of this one, specifically the 12.9 inch one. Like it's a really solid device. Like it's, it's definitely the one that I'm happiest with and the one that surprised me the most with just how much. Uh, I, I enjoy using it even now like a year almost a year and a half after getting it so I'm a huge fan of this one excellent yeah and I'm really curious what they do with future models because I know with the original iPad Pros the second generation to me was like oh you just made this thing killer from the baseline nice big screen all that stuff but you had ProMotion and all these other nice little touches to it here's what kind of little touches it'll add with this model with this hardware design yeah I, I don't really know like i i saw a rumor today that it's uh there's a rumor to be new ipad pros in march this year and so i i don't know what that what that's going to be like i, I kind of look at the one that i'm using right now i'm recording into it as we speak and i don't know what i want <laughs> right like right. Yeah, you, you, pr- you probably sympathize but like like what big features are going to be that's going to get me to like 
want to sell this one and, and upgrade. I'm just quite not quite sure what that is. Like, it, it, I feel so good about it right now. I'm curious what they're going to have to entice me because I'm sure they will. Like, they always yeah, do. like promotion wasn't something I was asking for. Then I got it. It's like, oh, I want every display to have this. Yeah, absolutely. And now every iPhone comes out and we're like, come on, give us the promotion. Yes, hopefully this year. We'll see. <laughs> yes, we'll, we'll we'll keep saying it till it's true. <laughs> so. What about the iPad attracts you to working on it over a Macintosh? You mentioned the iPad Pro was a big leap forward. Was that kind of the integrated keyboard and pencil? or Like I said, I've been using the iPad for basically the last 10 years. Ever since it's existed, I've, I've, I've had one. The fundamental thing that draws me to it is kind of how casual everything feels on it. Like everything feels like less stressful. You could criticize it and say it's simpler, it's less functional and everything. But like the stuff that I do on a regular basis, the stuff like when I wake up in the morning and I'm eating breakfast and I want to read the news or I want to check my email or I want to see what's happening on Twitter, like all of those activities are just so much more enjoyable to me on the iPad. It feels just, it's just a delight to kind of like scroll. And like you said, the promotion display, like it just feels incredibly good. And so I really just enjoy the basics, I guess. And then the iPad Pro is kind of where it turned a corner for me and went from more than just a device that I enjoy for the basics and kind of turned into a real productivity machine for me. It was the combination of the smart keyboard and the Apple Pencil. Those two kind of things together just made things click for me. Like I I was never like an iPad first person before. I always had a Mac and that's what I used for most of my computing stuff. And then, like I said, the more casual stuff, I'd use the iPad. But that combination kind of like getting into a laptop form factor and then having a pencil as like a more precise pointing device made it super, super useful for me. And like apps like Ferrite, which I use for recording my podcast, uh, LumaFusion, which I use for editing videos, like these things suddenly worked now that I had kind of a mouse-like device. And now kind of an iPad OS 13, I can actually use a mouse. Those are the things that kind of drew me to it originally, the casual nature of it, the just more enjoyable way to do the basics. And then the smart keyboard and pencil turned the corner for me and brought me to the point where uh, when I upgraded to this iPad, I sold my MacBook to pay for this one. So like I'm, I'm all in at this point oh, wow. <laughs> on the iPad. You have a desktop as at home or is that your sole at home computer? Then at work, you have kind of work computers as well. Um, at home, I have a it's a 2012 Mac mini. That's still kicking. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I think this is a while. They will. Yep, I think this is the last year that it's going to get any updates. I'm a little sad that it's it's coming to the end of the line, but uh, that's for my like Mac emergencies when I need to like pull the the emergency shoot <laughs> and and like oh god I need a Mac for this thing. That's what I use. So I yep. use like screens to VNC into it, or sometimes I'll actually just trudge upstairs and like turn on the screen and everything and use it like a actual PC. But that's what I've got at home just because it's. Kind of a backup. For, yeah, I can for sympathize. I have a 2011 11-inch MacBook Air as my my Mac, and that that's my my, my only Mac. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no updates that's, at this point. An, an emergency only device. <laughs> yep. I'll use it every now and then to add more side-loaded content into my iTunes Match library, kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I can't believe you can't do that in the in the Apple Music app on the iPad at this point. That's that's crazy. <laughs> yeah. It's annoying because I, I, I listen to a lot of just stuff you can't get on the iTunes store. Yeah, it's right there. <laughs> Drag them from the Files app, bring them into Apple Music. That'd it's be so nice. easy. We yeah. should be able to do it. <laughs> iPad OS 14, please. Yep. Throw it on yep. the list. Things we want. For work, kind of what's your balance between iPad and the Mac? My work situation is is much less iPad-y. Uh, I, I work at a a place that is mostly like entirely windows and you have to 
go through a lot of hoops to get a Mac in the first place. Okay. And so I went through the hoops Yeah. <laughs> and I got a Mac. So that's excellent. And like, I'm so much happier. Like I told them, like, I'm going to work here like three years longer now that you got me a Mac. So super happy about that. So it's, an, uh, it's an e-commerce company. And so we have devices around for testing our software on uh, different things. And so we have an iPad. You're too old, just the standard like iPad, iPad, like the $329 one. And so... That's a test device that I have for testing, but it doesn't get used unless I'm testing something. So I oftentimes will kind of use that as a personal device around the office. Like I've taken it to meetings for notes, done some presentations from it, which is really cool. It's a lot easier than kind of like balancing your laptop on your lap and everything. It's not a work device technically. Uh, It's it's kind of a a secondary device at work. And I kind of use it when I get an opportunity to. Okay. And you're pretty rigid about personal devices are personal and no shared kind of data to keep that nice and clean. Yeah, like I've got like Slack on and everything on my like personal devices, but that's really it. <laughs> yeah. Without getting too into it, it's a security concern that they yeah. want to deal with. No, yeah, a lot of companies are, are like that. For your presentations, Keynote, is that your tool of choice or is PowerPoint being in a Windows world over there? No, it's even worse. It's uh, Google Slides. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so I've done keynote a couple times on presentations where like no one else needed to uh, interact with them or anything. And I could just, they weren't going to be saved for later. And so I was just able to do kind of a one-off and I always use keynote for that because I prefer keynote in basically every single way, especially on the iPad. Like it's super, super nice there, but at work we have to do like a lot of collaboration stuff and uh, we're pretty deep into the Google ecosystem. So it slides most of the time, but (laughs) so if I'm using slides, I'm always using the desktop. I'm not dealing with their mobile app. But Keynote and uh, like PowerPoint even on the iPad are fantastic. Like they're really, really good conversions of the desktop apps. So if I'm doing either of those, like I'm, I'm, I'm busting out the iPad and doing it there. That's really, really interesting. With the Microsoft apps, they're free to download. And if you're on like a smaller iPad, like I think up yeah, until it's, 10 inches or is it 10 and a half? You're right. Right at 10 inches. So if it's 10 inches or less or like 9.9 inches or less, it's you can use it totally free. And if it's 10 inches or more, you got to uh, pay for their subscription <laughs> to edit any documents. Yeah, which is amazing that the the newest iPads are 10.2 inches. There's no... Yep. Ni- so a slight Tragic. downgrade in getting your free <laughs> office on those uh, low-end iPads. Yeah, it, it's such a weird piece of differentiation for their pricing. Like, it's it's so bizarre to me. <laughs> like, you get a 10.2-inch iPad, and you got to pay 10 bucks a month or 7 bucks a month or whatever it is. And if you, like, get, like, the half an inch smaller one, right. oh, it's free. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's bizarre. But, yeah, that's how it is. Uh, I remember having the... When the, I had the Air 2, I think, and then I upgraded to the 12.9. And it's like, okay, no longer free. Yeah. I mean, the good news is it's it's like the cheapest of all the options out there. Like it's like seven bucks and you get all of Office and you get like a terabyte of storage from OneDrive. So as long as you're okay with OneDrive, uh, it's it's not the worst deal in the world. Yeah. I mean, th- they are great apps, but if you're not using it daily, it's the whole subscription yeah. discussion of I'd love to buy Office for 200 bucks and just have it, but that's not something available. Yeah. Not the world we live in anymore. Nope. It's it's great for certain apps that you use every day and you want to pay that money. But I guess it also works in the context of, let me just sign up for this one month when I'm using it quite a bit and then just cancel. Yeah, you could do that. I wish I remembered to cancel. <laughs> <laughs> I, what I'm saying is I have a OneDrive subscription that I don't use a ton. <laughs> yeah. But. So how did your usage change when you got the Pro, when you had the keyboard, the pencil, all that stuff? Did you, at that point, you got it and tried to just see what you could 
take over from your Mac? Or what was that discovery of what you can now do with all these new input methods? It kind of happened naturally. Like I tried to like force myself in previous like iPads to use it more as a PC replacement and it didn't really work out. Like I, I felt like I was just like round peg square hole sort of thing. And when the iPad pro came out and like, I got the keyboard, I got the pencil and like having it in that laptop form factor, feeling like, okay, I just bought a like $99 stylus. I need to find some uses for this using it. Like I think ferrite was kind of the, the app that kind of helped me turn a corner. It's uh, it's an audio editing app and you can basically record into it. And it's a full featured like audio editing. There's lots of effects. There's it's, pretty quick for editing and files together using the apple pencil with that the app does some clever things with like treating touch inputs different from pencil inputs so like i can like have my finger always like slide the timeline back and forth but the pencil is going to actually manipulate the tracks the audio that's on the screen it kind of felt more powerful to me in a way where like a mouse is always going to do the same thing right uh, yeah. you're going to click and drag and that's always going to do the same thing i can't tell the difference between two different types of mice like there's no dual mice setups in the pc <laughs> world but on the ipad it was kind of this cool thing where like i had the keyboard i had my finger i had the the pencil and kind of these all work together to give me this kind of state of flow i guess that i could get into at this point when i'm like editing my podcast on the ipad i don't even think about what i'm doing like it's it just is so natural to me i don't feel like i have to think about my movements i don't have to think about what device i'm using and i'm just kind of used to it at this point but I think that, and that's how it goes for other apps. I mentioned LumaFusion as well. It's kind of the same concept, but for video. And in both of these cases, it's just kind of this like, it's a, it's a beautiful dance, if you will, of touch input, a, a, sep- a secondary touch with the pencil and then like the keyboard and all of this stuff kind of working together in a really nice way. And I think that's just across a bunch of apps, kind of what got me to get over that hump and really start to embrace it for more than just uh, that content consumption stuff that it's always been good at and do some more like work work on it. So with Ferry and your kind of podcast workflow, is your podcast at all scripted or is it all kind of free-flowing and you'll edit kind of to clean up things or what, what's your kind of process there it is completely stream of consciousness <laughs> <laughs> i usually have an idea of what i want to talk about like on a real good day i have an outline of points i want to hit <laughs> but it's never scripted always kind of off the cuff but what i tend to have is it's a micro podcast uh which is kind of this thing that the micro blog community micro dot blog community has kind of adopted where there's these kind of short podcasts they're always under 10 minutes or typically under 10 minutes and what I like about them is that I can really do them quickly. And so I just have an idea that I want to talk about and I sit down and record for 10 minutes or less. And then I do edit down for typically just like pauses and a lot of ums and whatever comes up while I'm like collecting my thoughts on this thing that I haven't said out loud yet and I'm trying to make coherent at the same time. Occasionally some content gets cut where I'm just like, I didn't make a point there. <laughs> I didn't get anywhere <laughs> interesting with that. So that this whole section has got to go. It's a really quick workflow actually, just kind of recording into ferrite less than 10 minutes edit it um i edit pretty quickly at this point like i said because it's mostly just to get rid of the big uh gaps in the track and whatever i didn't actually want to say or didn't make any points in and then like two minutes to post it's a pretty quick little before work project and uh, i've tried to do it on the mac and like you can do it pretty quick and i'm sure if i spent more time on there i could do it quickly because i used to do it on the mac i used to do all the editing there it feels faster it feels easier for me in this new environment yeah i don't even know what tool i'd want to use on the mac at this point uh garage used to be 
my go-to app on the Mac back in whatever 2006 when it was like a podcasting app. Yep. And now there's Logic, which seems way overkill for most Logic podcasts. is overkill, <laughs> and, for sure. Uh, Audacity is just not very friendly at all. Uh, I don't no, even know I, where I I'd start with, with kind yeah. of where I go there. Uh, and Ferrite is just, it feels purpose-built for what we do. Totally does. It feels like an app that was designed for podcasting first and then is going to add more functionality over time. Whereas like you mentioned Logic, like Logic is just enormous. It's a huge, huge application. And it's what I use because it's what I, I went I went to school for television production. And so uh, we learned Logic and Final Cut when I was going there. And so I know Logic. And so that's what I used initially. But it's like I you've, you've seen like some of these videos with like people showing off the new Mac Pro and the cinema display and stuff. And you see these people using Logic on like these giant workstations like multiple computers keyboards like six monitors and like a hundred tracks of audio and i'm just like i just have one track of like 48k audio <laughs> from a, a a microphone like i i don't need all this <laughs> what is all this i don't even know what any right. of this does and as you mentioned there are like plugins for ferrite there's one that i've talked about before where you can actually strip you know background hums and stuff out and it works really well yeah it's it's really impressive uh same deal with uh, luma fusion like they kind of similarly have a lot of effects a lot of stuff that's really it, it feels pretty high-end for what the platform offers for like a $20 app. Like I think LumaFusion and Ferrite are both 20 bucks and and you get it and it's pay once and you're done. Uh, You pay for updates every now and again, but like it's it's an incredible deal. Yeah, with LumaFusion, I just love their frame editor where you're going in and moving stuff around to just make your video have these say a video game and you have a talking head. You can kind of move stuff around or have text in there. And it feels like almost like a graphic editor while you're kind of just making that one frame perfect for how you want the layout to be for your video. Yeah, it's super, super easy. And again, it's kind of like a a touch interface. A touch-first interface is built for that sort of thing. Like, it it feels very natural to kind of like, okay, I'm going to shrink down the, like, talking head or, like, the the person playing the game. I'm going to shove them down to the bottom right corner. And it's so much more natural, I think, than what you get on the Mac, which is super powerful and, like, you can do more, obviously, but it feels really good. It feels like, oh, I, I can figure out how to do that. In LumaFusion, which is, again, made by a much smaller team, which has been around for a much shorter time, I think it's really impressive work what they're doing over there. Yeah, the only thing missing from Final Cut 10 for me personally is the multi-cam switching from Final Cut 10 is just the most intuitive brilliant thing in the world with it audio syncing between the different cams and yeah it'd be really cool because we have the uh, the filmic guys they put out that double shot or whatever that that app is that takes two video streams from your phone at the same time it'd be really cool if you could then like shove that into luma fusion and then edit those as a multi-cam thing and edit back and forth that's some good synergy there if those two companies want to want to get together and make that happen <laughs> that would be awesome yeah <laughs> so with your podcast do you use the strip silence feature any kind of automations to help out with uh the editing process got kind of a boring answer but uh no (laughs) (laughs) all i do is i just adjust the volume of tracks Uh, i've got some like intro music that plays and i fade that in and out and everything but for my track i try to keep it as clean as possible like i found that if i sit if i turn off the heater february so it's it's cold over here so if i turn off the heater or air conditioning and 
sit on my couch. <laughs> I get like no echo and I get a pretty clean audio track and I just kind of personally prefer the sound of a non-modified audio track. Like, yeah, I, I, I don't think people can tell the difference, but like I can tell the difference. Like it, I'm like, I don't quite sound like that. And so it bothers me when I edit my own audio, uh, partially because I'm not that good at it. So I, I'm not really good at sliding the sliders around to like get the right amount. I just go natural. I just, <laughs> if there's background hum, I, I, I hope that uh, whatever podcast step you're using doesn't amplify that it <laughs> tones it down a little and so once you're finished with all the editing what's your workflow for getting it out there in the feed is there a shortcut you built to kind of remind you of what the steps you need to take or is it uh, as simple as uploading it to your podcast host and you're done it starts manual then gets automated so it starts just like exported an mp3 from ferrite into the files app i've got a folder with all of my old episodes in icloud drive that uh, i just have there and then then upload it to, I use Simplecast for my podcast hosting, and I just upload it to their web UI, type in a quick show name and description, and then publish that. And then from there, I have a shortcut. So once it's published to Simplecast, I've got a shortcut that I run from my home screen on the iPad. And so I just tap it once, and it uses Simplecast API to get the newest episode information, to get its disc- the, like the show notes, to get the title, to get the episode number, and to get the embed code for it. And it takes all that information from the Simplecast API and spits it into a Ulysses document that I can just hit the share button and share it to my blog in a couple seconds. So it takes literally like five seconds to do every blog post uh, where I share the episode that goes out. So I don't know how I would do that on the Mac. Uh, That's one of those things where, again, it's like it's uniquely something I can do really well on the iPad. Like on the Mac, I guess I could use like keyboard maestro or I could write an actual like Apple script, but then I'd have to like learn JavaScript. And like, this is so much easier than that. (laughs) It's so much easier to drag a couple things into a shortcut. And even though it's like dealing with an API, like they make that very, very simple uh, compared to what it is in any other programming language. So I really, really like that. Like that's changed a lot for me <laughs> to take that whole kind of publishing from the episode on Simplecast up to my my blog engine. It was a huge game changer because that took like something that took five minutes every day and was just mindless like copy paste, copy paste, copy paste back and forth uh, between two windows and turned it into a literal button tap, which was super super cool. Yeah, shortcuts has really enabled people to do things that they wouldn't think they could otherwise. Like before shortcuts was out, I had never used an API in my life, and then I used mm-hmm. API to write my own little app and it's kind of miraculous that just the interface allows people to to expand the capability like that absolutely i mean the apis are kind of like one of the more advanced things you can do there i said even that is is super simple because like they've like got these like helpers in the app that kind of help you explain like this is what you put in here this is what you'll get out and it it kind of helps you along the way like if you want to make like you're doing javascript and you want to make like a, a an api request it's not just like knowing what URL to hit and like what's your API key and what data do you need to send and what should you expect back. Like it's like how do I even get into an environment where I could send this in the first place? <laughs> and there's right. like steps that you have to take and you can't just like say make an API request. But like in shortcuts you can. And I think that it's just like these these barriers that get taken down that I I really really am drawn to with shortcuts. Like I use it uh, definitely every day, a couple times a day, and it's just one of those tools that I feel like I'm always using less of its potential than I could. Like I always feel like there's more I could be doing with it. So something I want to just ask, in your role as product designer, 
What, as much as you can share, what is that design process? And are there times you wish you could pull out an Apple pencil to be manipulating things in that manner? For sure. Like I, I really miss my iPad at work. <laughs> like I said, we've got the, uh, an older iPad that does not support any Apple pencils. I don't, don't think it does at least and we certainly don't have any in the office can't really use it like i don't want to use my finger on an ipad to do any design work so i don't really do that but i love the ipad at home like i definitely use it there for just like sketching things out like i will open up something like good notes or affinity designer and we'll like sketch something together and have a good starting point for where i want to do something and then unfortunately i don't think the ipad has like a great like final step like here's the thing you're going to use to make the assets you hand off to development Uh, i don't feel like there's a good like sketch or adobe xd or figma that you can really use like you could technically use figma and safari on the ipad but i wouldn't recommend it necessarily for those i do have to go to the mac because you can be pixel perfect and everything and there's a lot more control in those apps but i I think right now uh, for the ipad it's really really good especially with the pencil for kind of sketching out ideas like sketching out like like writing down requirements for like what you need to do and then kind of mocking up like a, a simple wireframe like there's some apps out there that you can use to like make real quick interactive mock-ups with just like sketches that you make on the ipad i don't know any of them off the top of my head unfortunately but i know that they do exist those are pretty snazzy because sometimes you just need a lo-fi version of something to see like does this idea work at all and then i'll make it pretty later with affinity designer that's an app that i don't know how good the export is to the adobe counterpart of what is it uh xd yeah yeah i have not tried it we haven't tried exporting from there over to xd yeah so thinking about their export screen which is intense if you've ever seen it there's oh i have options yeah on it. <laughs> i don't know if i've seen it in that mess of options i think you can export to photoshop but I've, i don't know if i've ever tried xd yeah the cool thing about the affinity apps i've talked about in the show before but the affinity photo and affinity designer you can open in either or. So if you start in Designer, you can then open it in Photo to do different tweaks and then open it back up in Designer. It's the same exact file. Oh, that's cool. I didn't know that. That's actually really convenient. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and yeah, if you were in a Mac office, there's Affinity for Mac as well. But I don't think it's on Windows. At this point. Yeah, I, I think they are actually. I th- oh, really? Because when I was on a Windows machine, like I needed something to do these designs. And I, I think that I did have them get Affinity Designer for me. Nobody else in the company used it. So it wasn't actually a tool that I could use long term but right. <laughs> um, I, I'm pretty sure they do have Windows apps at this point like, okay and I, and I think they're pretty comparable which is which is pretty nice like the affinity team is is like they're very good citizens to many platforms it seems like all of their apps like you don't think of them as being like these cross cross platform like electron apps like I know they're not electron apps but like they work on a lot of platforms and they all feel pretty good on each of those platforms which is a testament to that to them over there at what they're doing yeah I'm eagerly awaiting their publisher release on iPad hopefully this year or next because that'll be great when that's out because pages will get you but so far yeah <laughs> <laughs> yes that uh, say, say no more i, t- I completely understand yeah. pages pages is great and then it, it suddenly is not <laughs> once yeah you need more yeah it's kind of curious with pages it started out you're kind of either in page layout mode or document mode i think it's more or less merged at this point yeah i, I wonder was that when they switched over to like they made the mac one and the I, ios yeah, the ones, unified like, kind of approach yeah. unified them and everything yeah it might it might have been but yeah those apps uh, pages is kind of the one that i'm just like ah i don't know what i'm going to use you for <laughs> i use numbers and <laughs> keynote and i love those yeah uh, but pages is like mm, don't know <laughs> what to do with you so Something I love about some of your posts that you do are the graphics that you build out to kind of 
visualize what you're thinking, for example, with watchOS predictions about what you hope happens, at least. Mm-hmm. And are those graphics done? Are those Affinity Designer? Or what's your kind of your workflow for doing those? So those are a combination. I do some of it in Affinity Designer on the iPad. Uh, so I'll do some of the simpler ones there because I think that, like I said, it's, it's very quick to work there. I'm already on the iPad, so I'm already working there. And so a lot of the stuff that doesn't require a ton of crazy... Uh, custom stuff I do there. And then for the more advanced stuff, like one of the toughest things about that article you're talking about is I had to create the activity rings yeah. from the activity app, <laughs> uh, which are cool. surprisingly hard. Like those are really complicated <laughs> objects. Like there, there's a great, the gradients are really tricky to figure out and like how they like move as this, as the rings go around. But anyway, I did that actually in sketch on the Mac. So. Okay. Yeah, that was the only way I could figure out how to do that. Like I could not get all ten fingers and the pencil on the screen in a way to make it <laughs> do what I wanted. <laughs> so kind of switch switch to uh, Sketch on the Mac, unfortunately, for that bit, and, and made that happen. But I do have Affinity Designer on the home screen, and I have Photoshop on the home screen. Uh, Photoshop's a little limited right now in what it does, so it doesn't come up that much for me. Like I'm happy it's there, and I hope they keep building on it. But Affinity Designer is kind of what I go to if I need to mock something up real quick or just modify a screenshot to add a feature or whatever uh, that's that's been really convenient for me do you find affinity photo more useful than photoshop at this point in time at least for, oh absolutely right now like it's so much more functional i like photoshop quite a bit especially on the desktop like i i've used it for over a decade uh, oh it's like two decades now <laughs> which makes <laughs> me feel old like i'm really familiar with that interface and i like it for the most part so I think that if Adobe is serious about this app and they keep building on it, then I think that that can totally take over. But for now, Affinity is just so far ahead of the game in terms of uh, like what you can add to it, like how you work with layers and stuff, and what sort of objects you can put down, how you can export. Like I mentioned, that scary export screen, like it's scary, but it's also very powerful and <laughs> what you can do from it. <laughs> Photoshop is kind of like export as a ping or a JPEG. What's the quality you want? Like, and that's mostly it so there's not quite the flexibility that i feel like i have with affinity yeah with the art assets that you're putting a screenshot into like a stock imagery iphone is that done through shortcuts or is that a manual process for you uh that's a manual process too so those are all mock-ups that i've got they're 3d mock-ups that were made uh, by this company called l store they do a lot of design work and they also on the side have kind of these mock-ups that you can purchase and there's different collections. And so I've picked up a couple of those over the years and those, I was really hoping those would work in Photoshop on the iPad once that came over. Cause they're like many layer PSD files and they have kind of this like layer in there. That's the screenshot that you just replace and then plop in there and you can control the colors for everything else and whatever, but they don't work in this current version of Photoshop. So those are still very slowly exported from that old Mac mini upstairs. <laughs> <laughs> still got to use that for those. So as soon as Photoshop can do that, I'm hundred percent all in <laughs> on cutting the Mac out of that part of the design process yeah the one thing i struggled with at my last day job was making images for like ebooks that are inside like a fake paper book kind of template Mm, all the downloads were like requiring i think um 
like Photoshop, and it's like it wouldn't work in Affinity Photo for whatever reason. Yeah, I think the the deal with the ones that I use at least are it's like you've got a Photoshop file inside a Photoshop file, which is a really weird thing, but apparently is possible. Uh, there's like a PSB file, I think it's called, and so like that's like a sub document. I don't understand it. <laughs> I yeah. know how to use it. <laughs> I don't understand it, and apparently the iPad app doesn't understand it either <laughs> at this point. So, what are some of your key apps? that you kind of use every day to get work done. We've mentioned shortcuts. I know Ulysses is one. What are some of the other ones that you depend on? So Things is the getting things done app that I use every day. It's on every device. And that's, for my money, the best task manager on iOS, iPhone, or iPadOS, macOS, all of the OSs. So that's what I use. I, I, you know, I bounce back and forth between that and OmniFocus every like six months. But right now I'm using things. I really like Outlook, which is not a thing I thought I'd ever say as a younger <laughs> person, but I really like Outlook on iOS and the iPad. It's really, really nicely made. I think uh, it integrates well into a bunch of Microsoft services, which we've mentioned a couple times already on this episode. And uh, I just I enjoy that interface. I enjoy kind of what you can do from notifications. It's really powerful there. And then I use Working Copy. So I don't use Git or GitHub a lot, but on some of my larger articles, I like to use it for organizing. Here's like all the screenshots, here's all the notes, and here's like the final document that I'm going to have when I publish to my blog. And so I use Git for that. I got the idea from Federico Vatici, who does this, I think, for some of his big articles as well. And I think he's got a team who sometimes helps and makes edits and makes changes. And so like version history and stuff is very important for them. But for me, even, it's kind of useful to have this kind of this repository. And Working Copy is a Git front end that syncs with GitHub and everything. And so I can do some work on my iPad, push the changes to GitHub, and then do, like, if I need, like, mock up one of those screenshots in Photoshop on my desktop, I can go to the desktop, do it there, publish it, add that to the project, and then it's on the iPad too. So it's a really nice, it's surprisingly nice actually for kind of interacting with your Git projects. So those are some of the big ones I use. For like reading, I use Apple News and Reader for RSS. Lightroom on the iPad is fantastic. Fantastic Hell is wonderful. So I, I, I could go on. There's quite a few <laughs> apps. I don't know if any of them are wildly like out there, but I use quite a bit. Like My home screen is pretty full of apps, and I think I do use most of those most days. For working copy, for the Git usage is that an imaginal private you can set get to either public or private is that right yeah so you do like an oauth thing with your github account and then it just has access to your github account i think you can do other ser- services as well but yeah whether your repository is private or public on github doesn't really matter uh, as long as you can see it <laughs> then uh, you can make working copy see it so it's really nice in that way on the free tier of github i think you can have private projects now which is really really great that's maybe the best thing that's happened since their uh, merger with microsoft or Microsoft acquired them. Oh, very cool. Yeah, that's something I actually neglected to ask on the past couple episodes we've been talking about Git about just is it a free service or a paid? I guess, yeah, there is a paid version as well, but there is a baseline free. Is it based on how much storage you use in that point you have to upgrade? Something like that. It used to be, as far, I mean, from my understanding from talking with uh, developers, is the number one reason you would buy the pro account was to get private repos. <laughs> so you could <laughs> use it for like your app and not have your app be open source unintentionally. Now you don't have to do that. So I honestly don't know why I would ever pay for GitHub. <laughs> yeah. I'm not a developer. I'm a designer who is syncing like markdown files to <laughs> to GitHub. I'm not, uh, these aren't like massive projects or anything. But right. uh, yeah, that's, I mean, it's, Frankly, uh, you can 
get a, the full Git experience with just a free plan on GitHub. So it's uh, really nice. Yeah, that's an interesting use of GitHub. And what kind of made you go that way versus, say, doing a project in Scrivener or using a Ulysses project and having all the images and things there? Was it, I guess, um, felt safer having it offloaded to Git as kind of the backup? Or It was partially I wanted to have an excuse to use Git because I never used it. Even when I do like uh, some light dev work, I always just code it live. I have no version history. Like I, I'm a terrible developer. Uh, but <laughs> the reason I did it initially was it was actually for a review of the Microsoft Surface Go when that came out late 2018. I needed a way to write on the iPad and then also use the Surface to write it and then I had like again the mockups and stuff that I do on and like the the flourishes for some of the pictures I do on in Photoshop on my Mac. So like I had like multiple devices going and they were different platforms and so I didn't have Ulysses on the Surface and Scrivener. However it worked out, I didn't have licenses to use Scrivener everywhere. I had to figure something out. <laughs> and so by introducing a Windows device, I introduced Chaos into my workflow and that made me use Git <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> because that was something that worked everywhere. Working copy is like five or 10 bucks. And so uh, I picked that up and it, it was a great experience working with that. Like I, they have a really good UI. It, I worked seamlessly with like using the GitHub app to sync projects to the Surface and then back to the iPad. And so that was kind of like a really nice symbiotic relationship those two had while I was working on that project and then it, it kind of worked and I kind of enjoyed it and it felt like kind of just this nerdy like way to make sure I was keeping track of everything I kept doing it for some of my bigger articles uh, that I've done after that it's, it's been fun it's it's kind of like yeah. a hobbyist thing like I could like no one else could be introduced to the system and it would make sense and no one would say it's the most efficient way necessarily but for me it's it's kind of this nice way to be nerdy but also like keep track of things in a nice way but it, it, it might be overkill yeah I, and I understand the kind of developer envy. I, I have that as well sometimes. Wish I had a reason to use this. And Right? Yeah. <laughs> With your posts that you do from there, do you write in Ulysses and send it over to working copy or do you do all the writing within working copy and does it ever touch Ulysses? So for those bigger ones, I do actually still write in Ulysses. So Ulysses has the ability to just open a local text file that you have. So all the files in my Git repo are saved into working copy in iCloud Drive. And then I just point to Ulysses and say, hey, I'd like to open this markdown file. And then it opens it. And I so I get the full Ulysses experience, the full, the way it does, like it handles your markdown for you and everything. It handles links and images and all that stuff. And then I'm able to just kind of like command tab back to working copy. And all the changes are like instantly there and I can push the changes to the project right away. So working copy is okay for writing, like it's fine, but it's also kind of like the text is very small and so your lines are like 700 characters wide it's like it's not a very comfortable <laughs> way to write so yeah, yeah. kind of ulysses ability to kind of just talk to any file that you have on your ipad is really nice for that and then you can actually push the changes elsewhere and so those kind of stay in sync and so like ulysses remembers the document so if i like push changes to the project from another device and working copy gets them when i open ulysses ulysses has the up-to-date document as well so like i'm not doing any manual syncing or anything which is really nice. Like it kind of speaks to, I, I think I should say this on every podcast I've ever been on. I say it on every blog post I get the chance to, but like Ulysses is just amazing. Like it's my favorite app in so many ways. Like it's, it's just super, super powerful and super, super fun. Like I, whenever I'm, I'm wondering like, is it going to do this? And it always does. It, uh, love that app. Yeah. It's definitely what I still pay my subscription for. I, really enjoy using that app with Ulysses. Do you use any of the custom style sheets you can build on a Mac? Have you dealt with that much? 
I have, yeah. You can control the look and feel of the writing environment. So while you're actually writing, you can control so, like some of what that looks like. And then the really cool thing is when you publish, you can see a preview of like what you're pushing up. And so they have these pre-built themes that all look great. They've got like one based on like the default WordPress theme. So like if you're just using the default there, you can see what it's going to look like. But they, like you said, they let you upload or like add these custom themes with custom CSS. And so I do have one of those set up. So I get a pretty good kind of one-to-one feel for what the post is going to look like on my site before I even publish it, which is really nice to be able to see, to like see like, ah, is this... I, maybe I need to add another like a HR here or this heading maybe should be a heading three instead of heading two. So yeah, that's a, it's a super nice feature. Again, you wouldn't expect it. And if it wasn't there, like, I don't know if I'd necessarily even be asking for it, but yeah. it's really nice that it is. So how'd you end up building that? So you have your website and was some of the backend code on the website used in building that template for Ulysses or what's that process like? I think, and this has been a while since I did this, but I think basically I took a theme that was already created in there's a library of themes you can like kind of browse online and, and download and everything. And basically I kind of poked into that and found where the CSS lived popped in my CSS from my website and then just started deleting things until it started looking right and like changing uh, class names until they started looking right. And so kind of what I have is this kind of hacky solution, but it's kind of like just a subset of my CSS that kind of sizes like the line widths correctly. And I can't get the font exactly right because it's one that I don't have access to in Ulysses, but it's pretty darn close. And yeah, it was really just kind of poking and prodding at how those <laughs> how those themes are built and just kind of like figuring out like what of my CSS is actually important. What is what actually do I use to uh, to to get that to look relatively close to what I've got on the site? Okay. Yeah, I'm curious to the fonts if there is now fonts in iOS 13 if that'll eventually show up on the app store. I would love, <laughs> love for more people to do it. Like as far as I know, like Adobe is really the only one who's done it seriously. And like, I think like they've with the creative cloud app that has like every font. Is Yeah, it's, it's like, great. It's, yeah. Every now and then they have to like reauthorize that. Yes, I still want to use this, but yeah, it's great. Which is kind of weird. Like, are you sure you want us to keep using this font? <laughs> it's a weird alert for your device to give you. Like, I, I don't understand that. <laughs> I tell you there, I, I'm not sure if it's Adobe's excuse to remind you that we're <laughs> great i don't know yeah i don't know the fonts i use are from typography.com uh holifer and I, I, I never know how to pronounce it holifer and company or whoever that is yeah <laughs> but that's who i use and they definitely do not have an app that i can pull in unfortunately but that's that's a really nice feature like that was the thing that kind of made me go oh more than almost anything else at wwdc last year when they showed that off and i was like yes bring them all over like everybody let's get adobe let's get monotype let's get all these people over there and be able to buy these fonts from the store and it hasn't happened i, I really hope that would happen by now yeah and is it something that you ever experimented with the any font app that kind of old school way of sideloading oh, fonts in there yeah i did that <laughs> <laughs> that was such a weird process did you do that like it, it was yeah so i did i've got a lot of fonts to that yeah because you have to like install separate configuration profiles which is like not great <laughs> no not often no. but i definitely did that where it's like yeah, just give me some text files and i'll do whatever magic that i'm technically not probably allowed to do <laughs> and we'll make it sort of work in most apps yeah that was dark days yes <laughs> i'm glad we have a newer solution now yeah agreed with 
uploading your blog posts from Ulysses, how do the images actually work? Do those get uploaded along with it? They're referenced in Ulysses. There's, these are files that live on your iPad and they go up to your blog. And do you have to change the URL structure up there to clean it up at all for... SEO purposes? Once again, uh, Ulysses does whatever you want it to do. So <laughs> it does both. Uh, so if I have just a post that's not a huge deal, I'm just going to put it up and I'll usually just drag the file directly from my iPad into the Ulysses document and then publish from there. And then it uploads the image as part of the post. And so it just lives and is served from my website. And it has the file name. If there, if I name the file something specific, that carries over through Ulysses up to the blog. And so the URL is predictable, which is nice. And then for some posts, uh, you mentioned like the watchOS concept article I did. Some posts have lots of images and like some of them, like that one, for example, has a chance of like getting picked up and like having a lot of people see it. And so I don't want my site to go down because I'm loading too many images. And so for those, I do upload those to a space on DigitalOcean. Uh, so they just have some file storage there that you can use. And so I upload from Coda app. I think it's just called Code Editor now, but from Panic, uh, their code editor, I upload files there. And then I get the URL from that, paste it into Ulysses, and Ulysses loads the image just like it's part of the document, but it's linking to that external image. So uh, I can do that as well. It just shows in line. It just shows a thumbnail kind of in the document. And when I publish, it publishes the link. It doesn't try to upload the image again or anything. And so it, it, it works really, really nicely. Like the way they handle images is really pretty slick. Excellent. Yeah, that's good to hear. I've always been kind of curious how that works. I throw images in Ulysses. I don't really use it to publish online, but no, that capability is in there. Yeah. And if you ever like export a Ulysses document, it's kind of like how everything on the Mac is a folder. Like you can right click on an application. And it's just a folder with more folders yeah. in it. <laughs> like <laughs> that's kind of like how these Ulysses, if you export an, a Ulysses document or you like check it out in iCloud, like it's just a folder and it has all your images in there. There's a markdown file. There's a couple other things in there. And so it's kind of like this rich document, but it's really just a, a directory of a couple files. And so it's, it handles it all pretty nicely. Okay. And for the texture actually writing, do you use Grammarly or any other tools to help you proofread, or is that all your your own self reading aloud and doing all that? Oh, you you flatter me thinking that I proofread. <laughs> 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 that is a hundred percent manual. I, I'm curious. Like I know Grammarly, the like the browser plugin on the desktop. Like, yeah, I know how that works. How would I use it in Ulysses? It's a third party software keyboard. What you have to do is you have to tap and hold the little down carrot on the bottom right of the screen to pull up the virtual keyboard and pop over the, to Grammarly and hit the little Grammarly button and it'll go through your document and kind of tell you what oh, you should fix. I should really do that. <laughs> <laughs> that is a great tip because I don't do a ton of <laughs> editing on my yeah. posts. Uh, kind of like the, with the podcast, like it's it's very much like I'm going to have a thought, I'm going to write it down, I'm going to publish it. I don't really sit on things usually that often. So they, I do have typos. I do have kind of weird wording sometimes. So I, sh I am 100% the moment this episode is over, I'm going to go download that <laughs> and give it a shot. <laughs> because that could improve like the quality of my blog like overnight. Yeah. <laughs> that is a great tip. I'm uh, that's that's super cool. With iPad OS, what's really changed for you in the past, I guess half year since it's been out? Have your workflows changed with multiple windows or mouse support? What what all has affected you this year? I think the big things for me are they're kind of small, but they've they've had big ramifications. 
So the things that jump to mind first are the ability to have widgets on the home screen. Like I use widgets on my iPad all the time now uh, when I didn't previously and I still don't really on my iPhone. Having a couple things there. So I have like my to-do list things. I have the next two tasks that I have to get done there. I have my calendar. So the next event is going to show. And then I have battery, which is I just need to know my battery life (laughs) at all times. (laughs) And so I have those up there and like it's just super nice to see those. I can scroll down and see a few more widgets there. But I really, really like having those. Like it's not a total change like to the home screen, but it felt like last year when I was like, we were going up to WWDC, like obviously one of the things we want them to do is make the iPad home screen better somehow. We need more than a grid of icons. They added just a little, just enough to like have me to the point where if they don't change the home screen in iPad OS 14, I'm okay with it. I'll be okay for another year at least. How do you feel? Have you started using widgets at all or do you still kind of use the classic view? I use widgets a lot more. I didn't use them at all. And then once it was on the home screen, like you said, it's just something that I'm constantly looking at. What's the weather like this morning? I, I work a lot yep. outside. And yeah, that's really important to see what's, if it's going to rain today. <laughs> and the up next in the calendar, which is really great. Yeah, that was a huge thing for me. Again, like kind of a little thing. Just like slide your home screen over a couple inches and boom, there it is. But uh, I really love that. really loved having desktop mode in Safari. From what I can tell, a lot of that change was just them changing their user agent string so that websites would not give them like a mobile view. <laughs> but Yeah, that's true. Just, but at the same time, we've all used, or I think a lot of us have used, uh, what was it, Cab? iCab. iCab, yeah. And we change it to like Chrome and all these other things. Yeah, and yeah. And nothing really improved. Proved. I mean, sometimes, but <laughs> it's user agents, but I don't know. They did something extra there. Whatever they did is really, really good. Being able to use Google Docs in Safari and not use their mobile app is great. Like it's 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 better there than it used to be. Uh, Simplecast, I mentioned, where I upload my podcast, like their mobile version of the site just didn't work really well. Uh, and now it works much better. It's removed a lot of the question about, is it me? Am I the problem why this website isn't working? Or is the website not working? Uh, like, I feel like I don't really have those issues anymore like i'm sure they still exist i'm sure there's still web pages you go to and they just don't quite behave how you'd want but for the most part like i feel like i'm getting a full desktop experience like i'm not making sacrifices by browsing on an ipad yeah and it's fascinating going back to the original ipad introduction with steve jobs saying it's like the best way to browse the internet and we were finally a desktop safari some 10 years later It took it took a long time. <laughs> yeah, I won't disagree with Steve. I would say the most delightful way to browse the web back in 2010. Most delightful for sure. Yeah, yeah. like turning it into portrait mode and like viewing the web in a tall orientation was like a game changer. Like that was like, oh yeah, these websites are tall. Why are we on like these widescreen screens and we like have everything cut off and we're scrolling all over the place? Like whenever I'm browsing the web on my iPad, unless I'm like if I'm on the couch, just like not with the keyboard and everything. Like I'm always in portrait mode. It just feels feels better to me yeah well my favorite things to do when doing like longer form writing and i'm kind of not using my smart keyboard i'm using like a bluetooth keyboard is throwing it on a stand and doing the uh, vertical mode of the ipad which is great for text mm-hmm. that's another example where it's just it's it's really nice to have a device that's just so flexible like it, you don't have to use it in one orientation or another necessarily like you can use it however you want yeah even more than the iphone like the iphone won't go upside down for you nope for example, <laughs> but this one will. Yeah, I almost wish the next smart keyboard design could consider that 
and let you just pop it into vertical mode and still type somehow with that smart connector, mm-hmm. which that'd be cool. That'd be fantastic because, yeah, same scenario. You you are going to be typing paragraphs. They're going to be long. Uh, you're going to have more stuff going up and down than right and left. So let us use that space. Like, I mean, they could reissue that original iPad keyboard from 2010. I that love that thing. In portrait mode. That's great. <laughs> they, so they could just do it again. Yeah, I, I've said before, but I, my favorite use of that keyboard was with an ipod touch i just put that on my lap best little typewriter there is that's really just like trying to like drive the knife in to the uh ipad scan to real work is to just put an ipod touch there and be like (laughs) 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 i'm being productive (laughs) on my hardware keyboard that's 10 times wider (laughs) on my ipod touch (laughs) (laughs) the most unobtrusive screen in meetings a little ipod touch (laughs) yes although people are going to ask you questions (laughs) oh definitely so any new apps or updates that have changed your workflows in big or small ways in the past year or so? One that's been really good for me is GoodNotes. So I'm not a big note taker. Like I mentioned, I like to kind of sketch things out sometimes, just get thoughts out in a way that's not typing. And so GoodNotes has been really nice for kind of having these, like you build these notebooks in the app and you can make them different categories or you you can do whatever you want. But I I kind of use them for like sketching out ideas, for taking notes on things. And for like, for the, my watch OS seven concept, I kind of outlined like, what are all the things like I wrote down, like sketched out, like, here's all the things that I want. And then kind of categorized them and was able to kind of just draw around them using different tools, different colors, different types of like pens and pencils and stuff to, uh, to sort out my thoughts and then took that and did other stuff with it. But like GoodNotes has been kind of a, and that's literally like in the past, like three months that I've discovered that and started using that, even though I know it's been out forever. That's been a big one for me. I don't know. I don't know if you use it for notes or use anything else for notes. Yeah, that's my go-to handwriting note-taking app I have. So what ways do you hope the iPad OS improves in the next year or two? It's kind of hard to think of what I want for the iPad. Ironically, I have so many thoughts about the Apple Watch, but I, I don't know so much about the iPad, what I want necessarily. I think maybe that just means I'm very happy with it overall. But the one thing that kind of jumps to mind that I'd really like, two things, I guess. So when I'm doing, I mentioned I do some some coding, uh, not a ton, mostly like HTML, CSS stuff. But when I do that, I can do it on the iPad and I can do it in, there's a couple apps that do it. There's Textastic, there's Coda from Panic, and those work okay, but they're definitely not as good an experience as doing it on your Mac. And so the thing that really like gets me, I think, is cursor movement. It's a fundamental thing of writing code and i think that it's just not quite there on ios and so like things like making the key repeat rate faster or giving me the option to make it faster like if you just hold like the right arrow when you're typing uh the cursor is going to move incredibly slowly it's not fast enough keyboard's not responsive enough like sometimes it'll miss keystrokes that i know the mac wouldn't have missed so i'd like them to tighten that up to make that better on the mac if you hold down the arrow key does it speed up as you hold it down is that the behavior it waits like there's a there's a delay before it starts going but then i think it goes at a constant speed i don't know if it accelerates because you can go into the system preferences and in the keyboard settings there's like a slider for like how long do you want us to wait until we start repeating and then there's a second slider for how quickly when we start repeating do you want us to repeat yeah and so i have the repeat rate turned all the way up on the mac (laughs) and so on the ipad it's like slower than the slowest max yeah so it's frustrating for me (laughs) personally at least yeah but yeah so like that and then mouse support so they added it in ipad os 13 
13 and it seems like it's pretty decent it's it's pretty okay but it's an accessibility setting still like the cursor is not really a like a cursor you'd want to use necessarily all the time it's an it's an accessibility feature so it has an accessibility cursor it doesn't have like a mouse pointer or whatever it would be on the ipad maybe it is just what it is this kind of circle thing they have now but like i'd really like them to make that a first class way to use an ipad like i'd like to take a bluetooth mouse and if i pair it with the iPad for a mouse pointer to appear like right away and I can start using it. I don't have to go into any settings. It supports like right click as some function. I don't know what it would do exactly. Maybe it's a, like a tap and hold thing or apps could do things kind of like the Apple Pencil where you can do like stuff with a double tap. Yeah, which you can configure a right click to be tap and hold or all of that in the configuration for your mouse. But it is like an unnatural That's true. thing. I think it has some delay. It's literally tapping and holding for you, and there is a little delay. It's not a pure right click. Yeah. Hover state would be awesome, though. Imagine websites that oh, yeah, recognize yeah. you were hovering, or even yep. iPad apps that recognized hover states. Yeah, like sometimes like I have to like press and hold for a half second and then scroll half an inch, and then it kind of detects it as a hover. <laughs> it's like a weird HTML hack <laughs> to make yeah. it think that you're hovering on a touchscreen or like sometimes you'll tap and then it it actually does like a kind of cool thing where if like enough changes on the page like safari will treat that as a hover and so you have to tap it again to like actually go to the link but it's it's kind of weird and uh, yeah it's the the mouse i feel like should feel just as integrated into the system as the apple pencil or your fingers do uh, or the keyboard does like it it's it, it, you should be able to use whatever device makes sense for you and is the most comfortable for you. And I, I think that uh, the mouse is a natural next place for them to go. Yeah. And I've seen people getting into this bridge keyboard thing with the trackpad. And to me, the mouse is a thousand times better currently than a trackpad on iPad OS just because of all the extra buttons you can customize to do all these cool little automations and things is that something you've gotten into uh with customizing the mouse one or do you use the mouse at all uh, these days i haven't used the mouse since the beta (laughs) period for ipad os kind of used it had some fun and 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 kind of have moved on i really like the keyboard and pencil setup that i have yeah and i think because apps because you're it's kind of simulating a finger it's kind of like this thing that you're moving around screen that looks like it can be very precise but it's 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 pretending to be a finger so it's it takes up like more space i just feel more accurate with the with the pencil because that's like a it feels like a pixel level modifications that i can do with that so that's kind of what i lean towards now and that's i guess kind of why i'm hoping (laughs) that they make the mouse better because i have a nice mouse and i'd love to use it i'd love to like switch it over to the ipad and be able to use it there in those cases maybe like my video editing would be uh, more enjoyable if i had a mouse so i think there's a ton of potential there it's just not quite there for me yeah so we've covered a bit on automation with the podcast and a little bit on the blog are there other automation workflows that you use on the ipad uh yeah i've got a couple here that i use kind of all the time i don't go crazy (laughs) i know some people have like hundreds (laughs) or thousands of them i'm not quite like that yet but i've got a couple that i find really useful so i've got like one that lines up two images side by side and turns them into one image this is really nice when you're blogging about like an app and you want to show like two screenshots side by side and not have to like have like do some css magic to make them resize and put them next to each other on your site and worry about display sizes and exactly exactly yeah so that's really nice it's like literally like four actions but like it spits out a nice image similarly i've got one that uh converts images down to 1080p 
So if you take a screenshot on the iPad, it's really high resolution. And again, if you don't want your website to have to load that for your, your readers every time, you want it a little smaller. So I have a shortcut that makes it smaller. Got one for, this is the one I really like for a new link post. So link posts are a big deal on just in blogging. Uh, you just want to link to somebody and add a comment. And I've got a shortcut that I can launch from any web browser. And basically I can select some text on that page and then hit the shortcut in the share sheet. And it takes the like name of the site, it takes the link to it, it takes the text that I've selected and puts it in a quote, and it throws it into Ulysses, of course, and uh, it gives me a new document that I can share. I can share it right away, or I can add a comment to the bottom of it, whatever the link is, and it's all like with a couple, with a couple taps, and that's, uh, that's one that I use uh, very regularly. I really like that one. So yeah, it's mostly stuff around my blogging. <laughs> yeah, that's something I think John Gruber was complaining about how hard that was to do on iPad and oh I, I do this on the Mac all the time but I can't do that on iPad so that's really cool yeah for sure it, it is interesting because like I mentioned the Simplecast API shortcut that I have for posting my blog posts for my podcast and so I don't know how I would do that on the Mac and I'm sure there's people who don't know how they would do that on an iPad right. <laughs> they have a process <laughs> on the Mac and not to get too into this topic because it's it's volatile yes, it is. <laughs> you yeah. don't want to get too deep into it but like it is very interesting to see kind of what based on what you're used to and what workflows you've developed already like what you're willing to accept on other platforms like there's solutions for most things on the ipad but there are definitely people who are so ingrained in the mac ecosystem windows whatever and that they just don't want to do it a different way and that's fine like you don't have to change like especially if you've been doing things a long time there's a there's a cost in switching there's you know, learning how to do it again it's not exactly how you're used to it and just because you're used to it now you like it there's a lot going on here so I, I don't think it's wrong for anyone to not want to switch or not be able to do it but yeah I mean shortcuts and like drafts and all these like automation apps uh, that are available on the iPad really make it a powerful tool for people to do all sorts of things whether it's different from what you're used to or not <laughs> there's a lot there that you can absolutely absolutely do well, is there anything about the iPad that we didn't cover that you'd like to before you wrap it up? I think we covered quite a bit. I <laughs> very deep into my workflow at this point. You, you you know exactly what I've got going on, but I would just say that I I, I really love love this device. Like like I said, I sold my only really usable Mac a year and a half ago to go all iPad. I wouldn't say I've regretted it ever. It's a really, really great device uh, if it kind of works for the sort of stuff that you do. And I, I recommend it all the time. So I, I will here as well. <laughs> Excellent. Well, thank you so much for your time, Matt. It's been great chatting with you and learning more about how you work on the iPad and get everything done. Yeah, it's been fantastic talking to you. Where can people find your podcast and your blog and all that good stuff? Yeah, so you can find everything that I do at birchtree.me. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter. I'm at Matt Birchler there. And then the podcast is called The Birchtree Podcast. And that is on all your podcast players. And you can just search for that. You'll find it. Or you can wait until typically every Tuesday I post a new episode. So uh, you'll be able to see a new episode show up through a nice automation on the iPad on every Tuesday morning. So those are the best places to find me. Cool deal. Thanks, thanks again. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you so much. Well, that was my interview with Matt. Thanks again to Matt for his time recording this episode. Make sure to check out birchtree.me for his blog and podcast. Thank you for your time and attention tuning in to this week's episode. As a reminder, you can support the podcast by leaving a review over on Apple Podcasts or financially over at patreon.com slash iPadPros. With that, thanks for listening, and I'll talk to everyone again real soon. Stay tuned now for the post show that I mentioned at the top of the episode.
Enjoy. So past iPads, do you get kind of get rid of them and pass them down the line to different family members, or what do you end up doing with those? Uh, it, it's not a very romantic history with them. I, I always I've always sold my old iPads uh, to kind of uh, soften the blow of getting the new iPad. <laughs> okay, yeah. Um, so I, I I only have the original one left, um, and it's kind of just a tank and sits in a drawer. But it's kind of like it, it was that one was such like. It, at the time, it felt like such an important device. I didn't want to get rid of that one, so uh, I've got the oldest and the newest at the, at the current Excellent. point in time. Yeah, I still have uh, the original and the iPad two, and I, I just like having the old OSs as well, just to like boot them up and just remember what what it was like back then. <laughs> yeah. Oh, for sure. Like I the the one I've got has iOS four on it, I think. Yeah. And it's it's just it's shocking. Like it's shocking to go back to that, and like it it feels so foreign <laughs> like it, it like i try to go into multitasking and it that doesn't really work how you'd think it would work yeah and, and like you could go to the app store and obviously like nothing installs anymore but right it's it, it is a whole different experience even if it kind of feels incremental year to year like it's super super different from how it and used the to way be. The, the music app works and kind of the slideshow thing used to be there was uh, yeah yeah different experience and i also have an original iphone running ios 1.0 0.2 i tracked wow i tracked one of those down from somebody years later when like i was six was out probably and they hadn't okay. updated it so it's like let me get this because that's gonna be fun to have and it's still boots up yeah that that must wow i i iphone os one that's uh yeah the I, I, fascinating thing was uh, just the ui is more text-based because you didn't really they didn't use icons as much. So they, they would write out in buttons what everything did just to make it super clear. <laughs> <laughs> Man, that's I, I, I'm very jealous of that device. That's uh, That's got to be a rare breed, like an, an original iPhone that's also running iOS 1. Yeah, because most of them are on iOS 3 at this point. Cause, yeah, for sure. Yeah, hold, hold on to that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but, a museum I, will pro- approach you one day. <laughs> yeah, I keep it powered up every now and then because I uh, one of my old iPads. I have two original iPads, and one won't boot anymore. There's something that mm. got messed up about I don't know the battery or something, and it's uh, so yeah. I try to keep yeah. it powered up enough too. But anyways, <laughs> um, yeah, I was just reminded of. Uh, Future watchOS updates, a little bit of a sidetrack, but I really hope this is the year we get the ability to make a cellular call on your Apple Watch and go to another app. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can't believe that's not a thing at this point. Like, I, you would assume it would be, but it's, it, it, it apparently isn't. when you're paired to your iPhone. So you, that yep. UI already exists. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's insane to me. Like it must be using every ounce of power <laughs> that it has <laughs> to like boost the cell signal and get that app open and spit it out through the speaker, and then it's just it's got nothing left. It can't yeah. do anything else. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. The series five seems so powerful, but still, yeah, yeah. 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 Which is literally a, a series four minus the screen tech, but that, that's true. That, that's it's another true. thing. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yep. And I really do hope next year we also get. Uh, more third-party support for the on-screen display. That'd be that'd be key or great. Yes, that, that would be. Or even Apple's own apps, like turn-by-turn navigation, would be just big. Oh yes, yeah, so, <laughs> like yes. Yeah, the, the the fact that only one app, I think it's only activities, yep. has the ability to show anything on the always-on face, and everything else gets the blurred-out digital face. Um, it's it's got to be that the software team only had so much lead time. <laughs> like, yep. That's the um, only thing I can imagine. Like, yeah, it's like, oh, we're doing this. 
okay, let's get this one thing working because we didn't know yeah. this was coming. Yep. Yeah. So I, I think you're totally right. I think that is like the thing that they kick off. I mean, there's, I, don't, I don't know if it'll be the thing, but it'll be like one of the big things they spend time on. They're going to be like, look at all these things. And oh, yeah, they're all always on. And then we're, we're all going to go nuts yeah. <laughs> over such small thing. But yeah, I'm, I'm with you. That is a that's near the top of my list of things that I want from them. Yeah. And yeah, with sorry for the sidetrack again, um, I might put this after in the post show before the, this episode. <laughs> uh, but since getting the series five, I've changed my like watch to never wake up unless I rotate the crown or tap it. And just such a cool experience with just like, oh, it's very consistent of like what you see. And I have the messages complication on, on all the faces now. Cause that's one that's really incredibly useful I never get tapped or anything like a new message, but I always just glance down and see if there's a new message based on that. And I think the battery life is probably a lot better because it's not constantly trying to see if I'm looking at it or not, is my guess. In- interesting. I, sh- I should give that a go because, yeah, I still have it used- doing the traditional thing um, where it turns on. But you're right. Like on these watch faces, you can see everything already. So uh, unless you're going to interact with it, you don't really need the screen to do any more. Yeah, so, and if you're in a meeting, you're not accidentally uh, triggering a notification to be displaying in front of everybody. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> and then ironically, you get you like turn your wrist away, and now you have the faded out digital face because the notification's on screen and it's blurring it out. And you're just like, I, I need Watch OS Seven to fix this for me. <laughs> Something I'm just curious about: What's your actual computing background? Did you grow up in like a Windows family and get a Mac in college and? How how did your kind of computer usage evolve over the years? My family has always owned Macs. We got our first Mac in 1995. Okay. It was a Performa something, and I loved it at the time, but I also hated it because it didn't play any games. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds <laughs> like. Yeah, so like, and I was a kid, and I just wanted to play games, and I, I, I couldn't. And people would talk about games at school, and I like was like, "Have you played Descent 2? <laughs> that's like the only game I have. <laughs> Monopoly, or God, that's that. I wasn't at that time. There wasn't even those games. I had nothing for gaming, <laughs> but uh, it like, and people would ask like, "Does do Max even do the internet?" Like back then, like it was really when you look back on it, it's kind of funny because like I loved my Performa, but apparently the Performa years were not the uh, it is the, the dark days, good years. Yeah. <laughs> for the iMac and all that. Yes. Version. Yeah. So ironically, the iMac was our second computer. And that okay. was like, like again, so cool. <laughs> yeah. Again, did not play games. Came with a game called Nanosaur. Uh, I don't know if you ever played that, but there was this like... Yeah, that's from the developer's Pangea. Yeah. Yeah. They yeah. made a lot of initial iPad games back in 2010. There was like a puzzle game they made that was like with water and fire and stuff. Forget what it was. What it was. Man. Yeah. But this, so this was like a raptor with a laser on his back and I was way into it. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. So yeah. Max my whole life. Uh, went to college. Got a MacBook Pro. It cost a shocking amount. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, Max used to be more expensive than they are today it turns out. But. Yeah. I think I paid around $3,000 for my 17 inch macbook pro in college and i i paid a similar amount for the 15 inch one but oof uh yep. yeah i remember back then like <laughs> I, I think i got it with like discrete graphics or some sort of like graphics option i was really like excited about that and i remember playing like unreal tournament 2004 was the game at the time yeah like that was the game that i was able to play like at 60 frames per second and i uh, felt like so cool with the new computer <laughs> yeah i was i felt the same with uh doom at the time it was like the new doom uh, I forget what year this was, uh, but there's that was Halo- like 2004, 2005. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, uh, and oh, I almost fell my chair. It was like at midnight, and I got freaked out 
uh, one of the you know jump scares in that game <laughs> oh sure to- totally with you yeah <laughs> <laughs> but yeah yeah i'm i'm a i'm an i'm an apple apple uh fan from way back i guess <laughs> yeah i was pretty young at the time when we got that first one but my memory is my dad watched it watched an infomercial on tv for the performa and we went out to sears that the very next day and got it and i'm just like that doesn't compute at all <laughs> anymore <Sears>. yeah <laughs> But that was the place to go. That was the yeah. the, the tech place. 